After hopping along with the house bunny, Jack and Josh have tuckered themselves out and are ready for some bedtime stories. This is Truly Happily Madison. Hi! Oh wow! <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, no, I'm just yeah. I'm just so surprised to see you here. It's crazy. Every oh. week we stumble into the same Zoom call, and you're always there. <laughs> I just I, I just I, I would never expect it, and yet I'm it's always weird. delighted. It's strange. It's... it's almost like a small child in bed has told a story about us meeting every week. They did it back in. October, and it's just still been going on every week, apart that, from the odd couple of weeks where we have a break. But you know, if I'm honest, Josh, that sounds like bullshit. And, uh, <laughs> and it sounds like a lazy plot device. It's, it's, it sounds like undercooked. Uh, just, just put it back in the oven and then burn it. Um, All right, back to script development. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh. Hey everyone, I'm Jack Gregson. This is Josh Pappenheim. And each Hello. week, your hosts, Jack Gregson and Josh Pappenheim, discuss the entire filmography of Happy Madison Productions from 1999 to current day. And we're not at current day just yet. We're still in, <laughs> we're still in 2008. Josh, did you know that 2008 was a, was a double header for Sandler? Uh, um, is this Spanglish? No, it was, it's the same year as You Don't Mess With The Zohan. Oh shit! Yes, of course. He's not. He's, <laughs> he's, you know, what? What a double bill to release in two thousand eight. Yeah. But yeah. we're not alone this week <laughs> to discuss this double bill, because we are joined by the the highly esteemed YouTuber, podcast host, all round nice guy and journalist, Will Webb. How are you? How? Thank you for joining us. I'm so well. It's good to be here like a kind of snobby ghost haunting you and bringing in my nasty anti-Sandman opinions. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we love, buddy. That's why I we're mean, here. I like, I like the idea of a snobby ghost. Just... It is like, uh, like, I feel like Mrs. Murr. It's a reference to the ghost and Mrs. Murr for all you Rex Harrison heads out there. <laughs> All you 11am on film foreheads out there. Mm. Casper. Casper was a snob, right? He grew up in that big house. Out of he was the, a pretty progressive of... rich guy for the, when he dies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> out of the four ghosts in Casper, who was the snobbest? I guess like the ghostly trio are kind of snobs to, to the living. I would raise the spoilers for Casper. I would raise that the old lady, the rich lady who's like trying to marry the girl's mum in mm. a long time, when she becomes a ghost, also becomes the snobbiest ghost in the film at that point. Carrigan. That's true. Yeah. Carrigan, that was her name. <laughs> I was going to say Bill Pullman as well, because he's snobby against ghosts, and then mm. becomes one. I don't think he bit. is snobby against ghosts, though, because he, he wants to study them. 
he wants his dead wife to be a ghost, right? <laughs> so I think, yeah, if anything, he's like pro-ghost, I suppose, in some respects. not be against the living, then. Yeah. Do you, do you know how horrible that scene is in Casper when the ghostly trio are like, oh yeah, we all know your wife, we see her around. And they're yeah, like, we can, go, we can go get her for you. <laughs> it's just Fatso dressed up in drag. <laughs> Not it's age a well, cruel Casper. scene for a child to watch, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I do like that Casper has a name and then his uncles are just fatso, stinky and stretch. And they were called that in real life as well, yeah. right? It's written on their bed. <laughs> I mean, I'm the pretty sure. pre-ghost name. <laughs> that was them. That was what they were. <laughs> the 1900s were tough. Real yeah. tough. Oh, man. Nah, I'm glad we've moved on from that time. Welcome back and to And into the time Casper. of 2008. Yeah. <laughs> That could be what we do next. Who All knows? the Casper All movies. the Casper films. Yeah. yeah. There's at Is least there four three? off the top of my four. head. I think there's Once. two animated series as well. Yeah. There's a CGI one and a Hanna-Barbera <laughs> one too. Oh my gosh. All the content. <laughs> we do like to do a TV's shake up every now and then. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Haven't had a good one yet, but there's still time. No, you're I doing saw... Happy Madison films, right? Of course yeah. you won't have a good one. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, because, I, because I do believe next week is funny people. Well, it's funny because you brought up um, Don't Mess With The Zohan, which I think is one of the better ones because it kind of leans into the absurdity. I've always liked that kind of like Little Nicky type Adam Sandler movie where mm. he really goes nuts. But also how bold of, uh, of Adam Sandler to put exactly the same sight gag in two films in the same year where he jumps on a man's chest and a fish comes out of his mouth <laughs> and then he gives him a thumbs up. Because it happens oh in both God. of those films. Prominently. That's so true. I didn't um, even put that together. Christ. Oh, that's wild. Oh. Oh, what a film. What a, what a, what a sort of auteur. <laughs> Not that he directs. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about this week? Uh, well, I just oh, want no, to say that. Um, sorry. Um, funny people. Funny people's not next week. No, you know what it is next week. No, next week is Paul Blart Morkov. Apologies. Apologies to everyone who got yeah, excited. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what film are we watching this week, Jack? This week we are watching uh, the the 2008 classic Bedtime Stories. <laughs> yeah. Also known as Bedtime Stories. Yeah, Josh, do you, do you have a imdb plot synopsis for this film i do um right okay it's another longy here we go in 1974 marty bronson builds the sunny vista motel in los angeles california with the intention of raising his son skeeter and his daughter wendy in the place where he works however he is not a good businessman and the hotel goes bankrupt. Marty is forced to sell his motel to Barry Nottingham, who promises to hire Skeeter in a general manager position when he has grown up. Years later, Barry builds a new hotel, forgets his promise to Marty, and Skeeter Bronson is only the handyman of his hotel. The general manager is the arrogant Kendall, who is engaged with the shallow Barry's daughter, Violet Nottingham. When the Webster Elementary School... The shallow Barry's daughter. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. I'm trying to get through this as best I can. It's terrible. It's extra terrible. When the Webster Elementary School, where Wendy is the principal, will be closed to be demolished, she needs to travel to Arizona for a job interview. Wendy asks her friend Jill, who is teacher in the same school, to watch her son Patrick and her daughter Bobby during the day and Skeeter to watch them during the night. Skeeter meets the estranged kids with his best friend Mickey and... Oh, fuck. There's more... (laughs) I didn't see. Oh Christ! Okay. They can describe just, every like imaginative yeah, section how, of this film. How long is this one? <laughs> because it's I feel fine. like we're like ten minutes in. No, it's we, fine. Like, we'll be through it soon. First night. Genuinely, there's only like three lights more. Um, where was that? Anyway, Skeeter meets the estranged kids with his best friend Mickey and makes up bedtime stories to help them sleep. But the kids add details to the stories, changing their endings. Soon Skeeter realises that the plot of the stories are coming true and affecting his life. Meanwhile, Barry Nottingham decides to give a change to Skeeter to dispute the manager position in his new hotel with Kendall like in one of his stories. But Skeeter has told to his nephew and his niece that the stories do not have happy endings. Is that, I feel like they, they put so much detail in that to somehow miss out almost everything that happens <laughs> in the film. It's you know? fucking plot. Like you say, Jack, that was the first 10 minutes. Anyway, that was written by Claudio. Oh, Jesus Christ. Like, I'm sorry, uh, Cla- listeners. Congratulations, Claudio. What else has Claudio um, written? For, can you see which other synopses <laughs> oh, they've done? Check. I'm going to look that up, but first some plot keywords. Title spoken by character. Fairy tale. Horse. Hotel manager and germophobia. I do um, like plots about hotel managers. Same. Yeah, yeah. Hotels are warm and welcoming places. It's really a, a good place to set a film. <laughs> this best other exotic top films. Old hotel. Well, now I'll tell you the other top films about hotel manager. Uh, the Witches, 2020. John Wick 3, Pretty Woman. Bad Times of the El Royale. And Crazy Rich Asians. Okay. Consistent. I don't know who the hotel manager is in Crazy Rich Asians. I guess they do stay in a hotel at some point. It's probably that. <laughs> oh, well, no, I do know. stories, it's the, but it's, it's not really opening. like... That's not the title of the movie, right? That's just like a name, a word that we <laughs> use in everyday <laughs> life. <laughs> I think they say, tell me a bedtime story, not even stories. It would be weird if they said, tell me a bedtime stories. <laughs> <laughs> it would fit in with that review. Tell me some bedtime stories. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, Um, Would we like some some facts about this film? A little bit of detail. Yes, please. So this film was directed by Adam Shankman. Uh, This is the first Mm. time truly happily Madison appearance for Adam Shankman, who I know best as the director of 2007's Hairspray. So oh. he's come just off that onto this, and there's a there's a nice little hairspray reference in the movie, which uh, I got excited about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's 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 Jack's hairspray corner. Um, mm. This film stars Adam Sandler, Kerry Russell, Guy mm. Pearce, Russell mm. Brand, mm. Richard Griffiths, mm. and Courtney Cox. Mm. 
and Rob Schneider in a guest appearance. Mm. Let's not forget. <laughs> well, we won't forget. <laughs> uh, it also has released... one of the girls oh. from Glee is in it. Um, the blonde cheerleader character from Glee uh, makes a background appearance in the film. She's one of the dancers <laughs> at the kids' party. Oh, Just picked that wow. out. Couldn't recognise where I knew her from, so took a trip to TV Tropes to find out. As is, uh, well, she's not a dancer, but in the background, Carrie Mae from The uh, House Bunny, Josh. Yeah, As I know, I noticed that. The Mean Girls. It's one of the, I saw it oh. and I just went, Idaho. <laughs> that, was, that was the highlight of the film for me. And Carmen Electra's in it for is like she? a shot. She's next to the rich guy who pulls up in his like Lambo next to Skeeter at the lights. Oh, she's in the car with next, him. She's with, oh, she's with Alan Covert. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I believe that's Noticed that. I was just <laughs> mesmerized by Alan Covert. Um, uh, this horrible. was released on the 25th of December 2008. Jesus. So it's a Christmas Christ. Day release. <laughs> Disney put a lot of stock into this. We haven't even mentioned that this is uh, Happy Madison's only collab with Disney. Yeah, wow. Wow. What an exciting. Revelation. I was um, sad not to see, you know, they had the Disney Castle uh, ident thing, and then it didn't go into Adam Sandler's dad going <laughs> terrific. They missed out on that. It should have Which... been like a golf ball hits the castle. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. <laughs> never, never happens. The and then it's Mickey says terrific, or they put Mickey ears on. Adam Sandler's dead oh, I thought dad. you meant I Mickey as in Russell Brand's character. <laughs> that would also be good. <laughs> yeah, he's the hidden Mickey in this one. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, this was made on a budget of $80 million. Oof. Which uh. is $10 million less than You Don't Mess With the Zohan. This <laughs> arguably a more ambitious is... film. <laughs> well, they do yeah. do a lot, don't they? I mean, the strange thing about this film is that like a lot of it, like all Happy Madison films, seems very cheap. And then, for some reason, there's these really luscious, rich fantasy landscapes that take up, like, yeah. maybe a quarter of the runtime at most. But they obviously spend <laughs> a huge amount of cash on. This is the only Happy Madison film we've covered that I can actually see where the budget has gone. Bugs yes, these no. big eyes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. B- Bugs it. Who, of course, we should be clear, is a guinea pig with gigantic eyeballs. Uh, They're CGI eyeballs, real guinea pig, as far as I can tell. Yeah, the magic. I know, behind the curtain, there's a PG. (laughs) They they were so sure that Bugsy was going to be, like, the biggest character. I know. (laughs) They were like, everyone's going to want the Bugsy toys. Everyone's going to want the lunchboxes. But instead, it's just shit. When, when this movie came out, my little sister was eight, maybe nine. So she didn't see it in the cinemas. I think my dad managed to like re- not uh, like avoid sitting down to watch <laughs> this in the silver screen on Christmas Day. But she did have it on DVD and watch it ceaselessly. And Bugsy was very popular. Really Might have contributed to the purchase of a bunny the following year. Not the same animal, but you know how kids are. Similar. <laughs> uh, at the domestic box office, this made $110 million with an extra 102 million from overseas so you got 212 million dollars worldwide that's not bad uh the u.s box office opened at number two behind marley and me and ahead of horrible christmas (laughs) well this is so this is christmas these are all all but one of these is christmas day release so uh uh, so number one you got marley and me 
Number two, you've got bedtime stories. Number three, you've got the curious case of Benjamin Button. Oh. Another Christmas Day release. <laughs> what a double bill as well, wow. The next Christmas Day release is another great one, Valkyrie. What a fucking miserable year. <laughs> yeah, so that's what? Nazis, old boy, baby, uh, and then like... Well, bedtime stories, which bedtime is depressing stories. enough in its own right, and the dead dog at the top and dead of the dog. office. Yeah, but and this worry, was the year but... of like the financial crash, wasn't it? So everyone was like looking for an up, and then oh no, yeah. everything's well, terrible. Josh, don't worry because at number five, you have Yes Man. Machine has been re-released. Oh yes, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jim Carrey's here to bring you some joy. But that wasn't uh, released on Christmas Day. This is in its second week. The other wide release on Christmas Day down at number nine was uh, Frank Miller's adaptation of The Spirit. Oh my oh god. Fuck. <laughs> oh I went to see god. that. Not on Christmas Day, probably. It's the movie where um, Samuel L. Jackson breaks a toilet over someone's head, right? Yeah. That's correct. It is. Mm. <laughs> well done. What a film. Thank you. That's the only thing I remember from the film. It's awful. Garbage. Um, this this film has a Rotten Tomato score of twenty six percent. That is my <laughs> last stat I have for it. The IMDb score is six out of ten, which I was surprised by mm. because usually IMDb is either bottom or top, and you don't really get much middle ground. But there's plenty of people who watched this and felt like it had something to it. A lot of the Sandlers end in the middle ground. Okay. That's Do you think true. that's that's half people who like him and half people who are sensible? <laughs> it's you know, really I could, hard to tell I could never tell I, you I, 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 this is the point of this podcast we're trying to understand I did a video I don't, I don't know if you've seen it um, It's a, I did a video about Click because uh, I was always told by people that Click was like ah, oh, it's the different Sandler comedy because it's got like an emotional core and I watched it and I was blown away by how much it fucking didn't <laughs> and I think there's like there must be a fundamental human disconnect between people who like who who came to my comments in their droves and said you've misunderstood the message of click um, you're, you're yeah, addressing you know. this to the wrong person because there was a split on the click episode <laughs> who likes you. click who which one of you <laughs> i didn't like click <laughs> but you're a click apologist <laughs> but i did i did think i i did think that sandler's performance was emotional Yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it's tough because it's like him trying to act like he does in good films sometimes. Mm. Well, that's right. it. The second half of the film, he sort of turns on some sort of acting chops. <laughs> some sort of acting. But it's like him when he's like crying in the rain while his family like drives away. It's quite emotionally affecting. And yeah. then like he just like gives him a big middle finger and someone moves him, <laughs> if I remember correctly, in the scene. And it's just, yeah, I mean, that's the film in a nutshell, right? It is. I mean, that's very much like Adam's... Family comes first. Horrible. We all cried. Jack's over in the corner crying. I was crying. My favourite... There was a commenter who said, I got Click as a promotional Blu-ray with my first Blu-ray player from Sony. Wow. And then I have never taken out the shrink wrap and I've now just thrown it away after watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, choice. what a moment in time. I would have just sold it on eBay. Uh, what would you get for it? A pound? <laughs> yeah. Take That's it to Kex to get 50p trade-in for it. It's nice. Yeah. You probably wouldn't be able to take it to Kex because um, if it's a promotional one, they'd probably have a not-for-resale 
uh, sticker uh-huh. on it. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I think yeah. they were trying to shift actual retail copies of <laughs> with Blu-ray players. Also, CX don't mind about that sort of thing. That's true. That's um, I've found you... many a pirate copy of Wow. <laughs> 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 Uh, just to give you another point of view on vis-a-vis the ratings of bedtime stories, it currently holds a 4.5 out of 5 on Amazon. Wow. It also has a 55% uh, audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So it is down the middle then. It's very down the middle. Hmm. Well, before we get too deeper into this movie, you've sort of set us up a little bit with your, with your feelings on Click, but can you give us... Uh, what your history is of Happy Madison and Adam Sandler in general. I was thinking back to this that, like, I think like a lot of people, my best memories of the Happy Madison movies are as a kid, because I think they're best situated as, like, um, movies that you see as, like, adult movies that you can secretly watch when you're a child, because really they're in a a childish register, right? Like, every Sandler performance is kind of big and gurney, Mm and in a childish register. And so my first memory was uh, The Waterboy, which is a film that we managed to get hold of at a sleepover when I would have been maybe seven or something. Um, and then I saw Little Nicky, and I think they're both, they're, they're kind of like nice Sandler movies to me where they trade in a kind of fantastical setting to some extent. Um, I mean, The Waterboy isn't fully fantastical, but it's it's weird. Um, and and that, that really was my positive experience. And then I think I... <laughs> I don't think I watched a, uh, like a single other movie of his up until I watched Rain Over Me at university, <laughs> which was such a shock to the system. Um, good, good movie, if not great. I think yeah. as a first year student, I thought it was really good. And then now having seen like, you know, good movies, um, I thought, huh, it's not. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, apart from that, I, I really don't like the guy's movies. I try to avoid them as much as possible. Um, I've also seen Going Overboard, which I, I know most people haven't out of all of his movies. Um, the movie that's so lazy, they left all the lenses at shore. And so they had to just shoot the whole thing like a piece of shit because no one cared enough to even film it right. Um, <laughs> and I, I saw Big Daddy like very recently, which I think is the main one that everyone has seen likes um, yes. in my memory. A 51st Dates I've seen as well, but I don't know if that counts as a... No, no, that no, was no. actually one of his productions. That's one of his productions. Yeah, Big Daddy is, okay. is not. Um, oh, interesting. So, uh, okay. There you go, twist. Maybe that's why Big Daddy's fun. <laughs> Big Daddy I saw is Mr. extremely fun. I saw Mr. Big... Deeds recently. Yeah, I think Big Daddy is fun. Mr. Deeds was bad, like all of his films, but uh, it had a it had a good sight gag in it that was so like back of the frame that I don't think it was even like it was like an in joke with the crew or something where he jumps into a fiery building uh, and he's like trying to rescue someone and there's a box of cornflakes on the table and they've given it its own fire element. So you know how in films they put like a gas pipe yeah. behind the thing, and so it's like standing upright. This box of cornflakes and just has like flames coming out of the top of it. <laughs> yes. And he goes out, saves someone, then has to come back in. She wants her cat back or something. When he goes back yeah. in, it's still upright and in there. <laughs> and I just think that's super good. Like that's a really good joke. This is the first okay, time I've been good. happy that I purchased Mr. Deeds on Blu-ray for this podcast, mm, so that I can uh, go back and revisit that moment. So you can watch the whole fucking it... film again for that one sight gag. Mr. Deeds also has a fantastic, like, um, one-moment actor moment. You know, like a castable moment for like a jobbing comedy actor in that film. Uh, he he like he does in many moments, makes a kind of fat phobic joke about oh, one yeah. of the waiters. And he's like, oh yeah, this guy. And he points to someone and there's a cutaway of this dude who goes, he does like a big kind of sad face. And then he goes, well, yeah, maybe. And does like a shrug. 
and there's no line in it and it's a, a second long but it's such a funny damn take from that guy <laughs> this you know is, he really this, worked it this is like my my uh mvp for 50 first dates was the guy who was like you're pablo picasso and the guy goes really and he goes no not really oh, yeah and that, yes, that's, yeah, that's good. his entire performance. I'm guessing that your MVP is almost never Sandler because I think he probably puts in the least effort of anyone in the films. I feel like Sandler's definitely been an MVP at one point. Yeah, mm. but I can't remember what. For. Eight Crazy Nights. Yeah, definitely could not be. For Eight Crazy <laughs> Nights. Well, he's, but he's doing so much work in that film. None of it's he good, is. but he's really hard, working hard. You know. We, I think, we all picked the animators for um, yeah. <laughs> Eight Crazy yeah. Nights. Even that that product placement number is gorgeous in that film. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. I um, I, I'm not sure, mate. I don't know. <laughs> was Listeners, it the hot, was it the hot chick when he Adam plays Sandler? the stoned guy? <laughs> uh, yes, but yeah, listeners, if you've listened to all the episodes and you remember them, if either of us has ever named Adam Sandler as our MVP, please tweet us and let us know. <laughs> Use the hashtag Sandler Talentless Fraud question. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I also saw him in Uncut Gems and thought he was good, like everyone else on the planet who saw that film, because he is great in it. He is phenomenal. Yeah, he does he very do well it. when he's asked to do bad things. Mm. I, I think the problem is when he has any kind of control over the project, because he doesn't care. I mean, he has that kind of... It's like um, a nasty version of Harrison Ford energy, where you can tell that the thing he wants least in the world is to be an actor. Yeah. <laughs> I think what he just wants is to hang out with his friends. Yeah, his family members. Just, yeah. yeah. So that's what they do, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, and this isn't libel, uh, this is fiction if it is. Um, that, that what they basically do is just get as much product placement as possible to pay off the budget of the film, and then he just employs his family and friends on the film. And so essentially he's just redirecting all of that wealth back into his family, into his um, I mean, production it's, company. It's that's my understanding of his business model. It's definitely... His wife and kids are in this what film. What has so. been thought of... Whether it's true or not, you cannot comment. Yeah, she's um, Lady Jacqueline. She one of the mean women. uh, The most beautiful girl in the land, Susan. No, she's um, in the fantasy section, the first bedtime story. Oh. Yeah, Jack, I thought she was going to be one of the mean girls. I was like, that is the perfect place for her to be, but it's not. Is she in all of his movies then? Most of them. She's in a lot of them. She's even in some that he's not in. Yeah, that's true and very strange, but that just shows that he's hanging around the corner somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> just out of sight. Uh, I think uh, this no. was a this was a comfortable film for him as well. Like I feel like this he didn't even really have to do anything extreme with it. Um he does his general kind of like gurney acting style throughout and it's clearly yeah. shot in like mostly backlot type sets. Um, yeah. there's definitely one backlot that I recognized because I've been watching a lot of Gilmore Girls recently oh, yeah. and um, the the kind of the universal backlot has a street uh, like, like a road like a country road style one where they go in the final kind of climactic sequence of the film it's where they do the cycling stunt yes um, oh, so I, cool. I think they did shoot a lot of it just like on random flat sets that either were pre-existing or very simple builds well yeah there was a bit you know the the old west section yeah I swore that that's the village or the little the shanty town thingy where like that bit in um, Django Unchained happens where they go into the saloon and then he's yeah. like I've got your 
warrant here blah 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 that bit that's the well, same fucking town isn't it there I is a western town set in the universal studios backlot so i mean i'm, I'm not saying it is now, that but most of this was sort on at studio city um which is universal studios backlot yeah lots of back six points texas universal backlot sounds like that could be yeah. a western <laughs> yeah i think that'll probably be it I've gotten massively into the backlot because I watched Creepshow Free a while back and um, they use the backlot in it extensively. It's actually the same streets that Gilmore Girls is shot on, but because it's such a low budget film, they don't have any extras or cars or anything. So it's just like desolate out in the back of the frames. <laughs> and I was amazed by the energy that I had. It was like watching the Truman Show by accident. It was oh, wild. Wow. God, that sounds good. No, it's oh. not. No, don't watch Creepshow Free. <laughs> Sorry, don't take my recommendation on that. <laughs> That sounds interesting from a yes, scholarly point of view. Watch the video because then you, you will yeah. get to get the whole sense of it in 10 minutes as opposed to sitting down <laughs> and watching that film. <laughs> I'm God, watching yeah. it right now. <laughs> no, focus on the podcast, Jack. Because... All right, well, so you, Josh, you in your delightful synopsis of this movie, the, yeah. Claudio's delightful synopsis of this movie, yeah. you, you begin with the fact that this film opens in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> With the most, I think, the most bizarre casting in this film. Oh my god! Yeah, so I've seen this film before, but I completely forgot that it's Jonathan fucking Price. Jonathan Price as Adam Sandler's dad, giving what might be some of the worst, like, like it felt like gun gunpoint to your head narration. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. Like, absolutely terrible. Never. I definitely to think be that narration was added like last minute as well. It doesn't feel like intended for the film, but it has to be because there's a scene where he talks to the narrator. You're right. So, and also that means he's like canonically talking beyond the grave to yeah. this guy. <laughs> that scene, like, I was just like, what is happening now? Why is he suddenly talking to the narrator? <laughs> He, he, I think he, he does well for like the one scene that he's in with the material. He's like, he's kind of almost entirely present in the role. You can barely tell that he's thinking about the better stuff he could be doing. <laughs> he's yeah. like, I could be pretending to be the Pope, you know, in behind his eyes, but it's years. quite far back. He's trying his best. Yeah. yeah. He's just thinking, There's just I was in a Brazil. lot of him talking like this. Hello, I'm the, the narrator. My son is named Skeeter Bronson. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, those are my initial laughs that I've given a 0.1 laugh just at the beginning. Because, like, what kind of a fucking name is Skeeter? Could they not have come up with, like, anything? Well, Skeeter. his other daughter was called Wendy. So, Which yeah. seems reasonable. Yeah, that's the a normal a real name. name. The only other film I think I've seen with a character called Skeeter is Doug's first movie. Yeah. It is a, it is a name. Like There is an American nickname, right? It's short for something. Nick I can't remember what. But I, I've heard of Skeeter before, and it wasn't Doug's first movie, although you know, great. Obviously, great pick, Jack. Thanks. No worries. For, for me, the uh, I, weirdest, I don't know. I kept um, thinking of Scooter from The Muppets or Scooter uh, yeah. Braun from Real Life. Yes, I wrote down Scooter in my notes several times because I just gave up. <laughs> I guess, making sense of what was happening. The weird casting for me here, I mean, obviously Jonathan Price is just wild casting for something that's in the movie for like three minutes. But yeah. the, the guy who's playing young Richard Griffiths oh my in God. this film, who is, you know, is basically the evil businessman um, of, of the movie. He has the weirdest accent I've ever heard. And it's 
purely because he's not got a good British accent, and on top of that, he's trying to impersonate Richard Griffiths. He's so disturbing. Well, do, do you know who well. plays young Richard Griffiths? Who? It's only screenwriter Tim Hurley. Is it? <laughs> oh. So you say that's not a professional actor? Co-writer of most of Adam Sandler's movies. Perfect. And including this one. I mean, it makes sense now. It all makes sense. Because I was just like, who the fuck is that person? Or I was like, have they... And also because I forgot that Richard Griffiths was in this. I was like, well, this is obviously a young version of someone later, but who is it? Who is it yeah. meant to be? Who has that face? And then Richard Griffith came on and I was just like, oh, yeah, no, it makes sense. They've done quite a good job. For that first five minutes, I was thinking, because this guy just made a huge swing. Yeah. Like a really big choice. <laughs> And I do like that they called him Mr. Nottingham, which I think is supposed to sound posh, but to anyone from actually from the UK, it's like, <laughs> not posh. Um... Mr. Scumthorpe. <laughs> did, you, did you guys enjoy, when I say Barry, you say Nottingham? Yeah. Barry. <laughs> that was a good joke. Um... Um, well, this, and, uh, this is actually something that, tease up one of my biggest problems with this movie is that there aren't really jokes they're just <laughs> things that, that that adam sandler says that are quite annoying well if it's, it's six minutes in i wrote down when the first classic kind of like sandler pulls a face and does a voice bit yeah. happens which is what he does when there isn't a joke right <laughs> he's like oh if i just say something mean in a funny voice then that's a laugh and again i feel like that does appeal to kids weirdly like yeah, I think, I think kid, so. kids do go for that, whereas adults are like, "What are you? What's going on?" Mm. <laughs> it mm. is weird that Sandler hasn't done like more children's films. Not yeah, that I really I... want him to, but he does seem to. His sense of humor seems to lend itself to that. And there's a lot of like wish fulfillment stuff in in the stories of it. There's a lot of like, "Oh, I wish," you know, that that's fun that he can act like that. And obviously, we can't in real life, but it's fun yeah. that he can. So it seems like a good choice for children too, in that sense, right? It's like yeah. silliness more than it is funniness a lot of the like, time. I, I would say the most fun I have with him in this movie is when he is talking when his tongue has been stung by a bee. Which is excellent. <laughs> a very good impression of that. Yeah, oh, I like the prosthetic. <laughs> I, I just didn't even assume that can't... wasn't... Yeah, I thought that was just his tongue, tongue mouth. still. <laughs> I, I I enjoyed that sort of moment of just him going because I was just like, oh, okay, this is sort of like Sandler at the top of his game right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, this is his wheelhouse. He's nailing this. The master at work. But it is oh, we this could sort play of like... a game. We could play we could, a game. We could all do. I've my tongue's been stung by a bee. And then people could say phrases and people have to guess what they are. Isn't that game when the people put their mouth, that thing in their mouth? Yeah, it's basically that, yeah. But <laughs> this is a feasting version. Yeah, go on. Take a swing. The Luther Belly. That's the Nothing. Belly. Thank you. That was very good. Listeners, so that, did you get his, it? his interpreter in that scene is uh, he shows up in this bit, doesn't he? Where it's Russell Brand like, between yeah. his first and his second rebranding. Yeah, well, so <laughs> no, this is his second this is, and third rebranding. Yeah, this is this the is same pre... year as Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm. 
So but, that's like his big movie breakout. It's like yeah. after he stopped being a shock jock, but before he married Katy Perry. And also pre-Andrew Saxgate, I think. I think this I is feel like, like that's that, the same time. That happened before slash this year. Like, it, I, feel it, it's, like it's, I feel like it happened when I was at uni, which was 2008. It so it could have happened, been this time. Yeah, it definitely happened while I was at sick form with Will. Yeah, um, so it is this time then. I think that people are curious how we know each other. That is it. <laughs> Nepotism. We did we, our A-levels near each other. We did our A-levels near each other. And we were on a student council together. Yeah, oh, we were. Nice. This is very true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, I have so many problems with Sana's character in this film. Once again, the usual problem of that he's just incredibly unlikable throughout the yeah. whole thing. Fully nasty man. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, the, the plot revolves around us thinking that he deserves a better future at that hotel when literally all the evidence given to us is that he absolutely is in the right place. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's completely that. It's completely this idea that, I mean, so speaking of nepotism just a second ago, that he should get this job because his dad was made a promise when he was a kid. Like, it's... As much as Guy Pearce is a dick in this movie, at least he seems to have some experience in the hotel industry and yeah, sort of I mean, worked, okay. his, worked his way up. You know, I'm sorry if he's not a nice guy, but he has worked hard to be where he is today. I mean, we he does actually that. try to explode some children at the end. Oh, that's, that's true. He's he not does a nice that guy. Is really but, that cool. is, Guy Pearce's he works really hard. I mean, is really strange. Considering the fact that like there's a scene where he just turns up at like uh, Kerry Russell's school and he's like, yeah, this is the school we're gonna knock down. Not that he even knows that like him, like Adam Sandler and Kerry Russell <laughs> are a thing because they barely are at that point. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's Ever just a really strange scene. I, I I was really like I think Guy Pearce is the closest to like conventionally good in this film that the film has in terms of like comedy because mm. he knows what like register to pitch his performance at. Because he's, like, funny in the movie. Um, he plays a number of, like, kind of... They all have their alternative fantasy doppelgangers, right? Mm. And so Sir Buttkiss, who he shows up as early on with this, like, conventional knight with his, like, long hair and stuff, who's a real, like, kiss, is really funny. It's well-pitched. I mean, it's a step above Panto at the most. Yeah. But that's right for the <laughs> yeah. movie, you know? He's doing a convincing version of that. I will say probably that you bring that up. That's probably one of my favorite parts of this movie is just getting to see all the different types of the characters and all the different stories. Mm. What's yeah. your favorite? Who do you think is your favorite alter ego? I think film? it's when um, Xena turns into a lobster lady. Yes, the final, the <laughs> fantasy sequence in, in, in the space. In the space world. Cause, I like uh, Guy Pearce in that sequence, yeah. Like, where he's it, like it, this kind of imperious um, space like nasty uh what's his name the space nasty. he is general kindalo the evil governor of hotelium <laughs> and he looks That's, so yeah. self-satisfied it's great i liked um yes the lucy lawless is who is sort of uh guy pierce's right hand woman who he's seemingly side. having an affair with yeah, yeah <laughs> um uh, she she is a lobster lady in that sequence. She has like a high pitched scream, and then when they do the sequence outside of the bedtime story, she reprises that scream again. <laughs> that's my soul off of the movie. Oh <laughs> really? Was just the one time when she goes. <laughs> I like. I really misread this section of the film because in that first conversation he has with her, he makes a reference to like her brother, 
Uh, I don't know if I misheard that or whatever, but I then thought that Kendall was her brother. Oh, and shit. And so there was this whole dimension of, like, I was like, is this incest? Like, I know Sandler's movies are weird, but, like, fuck, that strikes <laughs> me as maybe too much for Walt and the gang, you know, for the, mi- the mouse people. Yeah. Um, and it, I guess that that's not before? the case. What, incest? Yeah. In, in a Sandler movie. In well, Disney... Disney own Fox, well, own Star Wars now, so yeah. Oh, yeah, fuck, okay. true. Yeah. Oh, speaking Everyone's of. favourite incest plot. I really enjoyed in that space section the fact that Disney were trialling out the costume for Star Wars on Adam Sandler. Down the yeah. Line. I thought that was it's nice. It's true. They hadn't, it was they nice hadn't to... acquired Marvel at the time. but No, but they, they knew where they were going. It was also nice to see Richard Griffiths in a like Ming the Merciless outfit. That's one of my favourite parts of the movie. That was, uh, I've got that noted down. <laughs> His Ming the Merciless suit is amazing. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's accurate, like a good job and funny. Um, I think this is like one thing that suffered for me with the fantastical elements of this was that they felt generic kind of on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess that is on purpose, but also that makes it sort of hard to have a bit of a handle on. Like there seems like a bit of a missed trick there. Uh, and that those like particular references where I could see the very clear Star Wars references and Ming the Merciless kind of stuff felt like it was a bit more hitting towards something, which is obviously wrong for a Sandler film because they don't <laughs> like doing that. But... Oh, yeah, I, I think it's very easy that the, the, the space sequence is the best of the... Uh, shall, shall we go through the uh, the bedtime story oh, sequences? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah, so like, so Skeeter tells the kids these bedtime stories and they, they come true. So the first one we've got is the, the medieval set one where he is um, Sir Fix-a-Lot. His name changes. Yes, the boy can't pronounce his name. Although isn't the first one like yes, yeah, sir, um, sir underappreciated. Yes, and yeah. then he the boy pronounces it as sir under. He says underappreciated what does, um, or underappreciated yes. mean? Because you then later hear Richard Griffiths use that term, yeah. hinting that the. Uh, I mean, it's 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 screenwriting at its finest. Um, <laughs> but that uh, actually makes sense. Like that is actually a plot movement which the, is. the rest of the film doesn't really manage uh so like oh. yeah, let's take it where we can get it you know it's true it, but it's it's also such a sort of throwaway moment that if you don't if you're kind of just casually watching this and yeah. didn't remember that the kid had called him under which they do bring back once again <laughs> jack do you want them to zoom in and do a like what is this? Some kind of suicide squad? Is that <laughs> the sort of vibe you want? I would love it if it's... Like, but the, <laughs> the thing is, in that sequence, and so sorry just to jump around outside of the fancy sequence, but in that sequence, it wouldn't matter if you zoomed in, because for some reason, it's all shot in pitch black. Because of the germs, Jack. That scene yes. is ridiculous. Jack. The character <laughs> makes sense, but it is an insane approach to filmmaking. Yeah. There is this scene where you cannot see the identities of the people speaking. <laughs> It's Very not good. even like that it's like a quick scene. There is a whole scene where the entire sort of plot arc is set up in this scene where they have just turned, they're set in a room where all the lights are turned off. You can only kind of see their bottoms. Well, uh, it, I, Jack, it makes don't... me wonder if that guy Pierce just wasn't available that day because he is, <laughs> it's just, he's the only one you don't see the top half of in that scene. Well, uh, Jack, it could be. If it's, if it if it's good enough for Game of Thrones season seven, then it's then it's good enough for bedtime stories. I've never watched Game of Thrones, so I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? What's Game Shit. of Thrones? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, oh. it's an, so the it's, next fantasy sequence It's in another that. Truly Happily Madison production. <laughs> um, the next fantasy sequence is the Western one, is that right? Mm. Which is probably the second best of the fantasy sequences, apart from one thing. <laughs> What's that, oh, Jack? Yes. <laughs> Apart from just, uh, well, I mean, it, it's not a surprise to anybody that Rob Schneider comes into this movie and plays a racial stereotype. Complete with prosthetics. I think the only thing that Rob Schneider loves as much as stopping people from getting vaccines is uh, <laughs> dressing up as people of other racial backgrounds, right? Oh, he bloody loves it. I'm starting to think it's a fetish. That's the only mm. possible explanation. He needs to do it. We've talked about come. it before that he he has defended himself for doing it because he enjoys <laughs> to come, <laughs> and it's the only way he can. That he, and... he says he's um he's like I'm Filipino, which yeah. he's he's half Filipino, so that's okay. Which I think really does show a deep misunderstanding <laughs> of the objections people have. And he also who there was the um, Saturday Night Live guy who was fired before he actually went on Saturday Night Live because they found that he'd said uh, racist things against Chinese people and uh, and then Rob Schneider sort of sent him an open letter being like, comedy is too strict these days, we, you should be able to make fun of whoever you want I yeah. used to do it all the time <laughs> yeah. like, which oh. is why famously he's made so many insightful things about why like supporting Trump is wrong yeah. <laughs> like, funny routines about why middle-aged white men are bad Yeah, because he makes so... fun of everyone it's so funny that, like, if the only person coming to your defense is Rob Schneider, you must yeah. know that you've you're gone in the really wrong. wrong in life. You, you wake up in the morning, you got a Twitter notification from Rob Schneider. You think, oh fuck, no, <laughs> oh this is a bad, this is a bad shout. Not again. But they do probably the most clever bit of like I say clever very loosely here. But <laughs> the most clever bit of sort of fantasy versus reality in the film is when he wishes he's realized by that point that the stories are coming true, and so he starts trying to steer them towards you know, stuff he Victory. wants. And he says, he, you know, he gets a free Ferrari. And so they portray that as like a red horse in the, in the cowboy section yeah. of it, which I think is really yeah, fun. That's, that's it, fun. Yeah. And it's a bit more inventive than, um, you know, for all that they do these big fantastical things, they're ultimately generic more than they are inventive most of the time. And that, and also the bit with the gumballs early on when it, you know, when they, they play a little bit with how those things come true is about as inventive as the film gets. Yeah. True. I feel like we should just mention that uh, uh, we didn't mention that Rob Schneider plays a Native American yes. in this one. So just yes. uh, that's, to be to be fair to him, this is a new one added to his <laughs> repertoire because mostly he's been playing a Chinese gentleman, um, Japanese gentleman, and Arabic gentleman. Yeah, he's, he's done that twice. Has he ever just gone and done full blackface? Has he ever just like come out of it and just been like his oh. time? It's not I'm yet, ready. not yet. But you know, we can wait. We can, we can. <laughs> I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's on his list. He's sitting there, sat there home with a big list, and most of it's ticked off. And he's just like, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be in movies for very much longer. <laughs> when is the, when is the time coming? Adam, he get is, me one of these Netflix things. He is uncredited in this movie as well. Yeah, I wouldn't for want to credit best. either. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he plays the guy who uh, gives Sana's character the Ferrari for free. For free! And I feel other... like they thought that was going to be a big joke from this yeah. movie as well. Because they do it about three times, right? Yeah, yeah, it just keeps going. Did you enjoy the uh, I can do it instead of you can do it? 
No, I didn't enjoy it, but it did happen. <laughs> I noticed that it happened. <laughs> there we go. Um, there's also another... They were worried they didn't have enough offensive stuff in this section. So they, <laughs> at one point, uh, like a person with dwarfism just comes up and kicks him in the leg <laughs> and then true. runs back to a carriage full of other people with dwarfism and with like miniature horses. And yeah. then they do this in the real life section too. And I, yeah, I guess I just can't work out what's going on there because it isn't comedy. <laughs> it's just an event but i do but in a way you know this is um it's almost like uh that twitter account uh jokes by children you know where yes, they're just yeah. like jokes yeah. that don't make sense they're written by children and these that's part of the story was made up by a child so in a way it's it's sort of true to life so i was thinking about that when i was watching this because in a way like that's that's a fun way of thinking about the story right but i think that would work if there was a contrast and the fact is that, like, the way that Sandler and co. write anyway is like that. Yeah. And so it makes it, like, it feels exactly the same as any other Sandler movie. That's it doesn't really feel like a true. statement. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is how I write. Random events happen. Someone gets kicked. <laughs> laugh. Next scene. <laughs> I mean, um, normally it would work for me, but, yeah, nothing in this film, really. It's extremely the, sad. After that, we have the, um, is it the... Skeeticus. Yes, the ancient Greece segment Rome. of the movie. Oh, Rome. Sorry. Sorry. I don't watch HBO shows, Josh. Rome. <laughs> um, <laughs> ancient Rome section of the movie. Thank you. Uh, which is probably my least favourite of the sections. <laughs> yeah. And hearkening back, kind of, that I think that this one feels the most generic. Like, I don't know. I think Cowboys is a bit of a stretch anyway. But how many, like, Swords and Sandals movies are kids having seen in 2008? Realistically, uh, like, did they watch Gladiator? Watched, yeah, Kingdom of Heaven, Troy. Yeah. The target age for this film certainly sat down to watch the director's cut. The yeah. right <laughs> Kingdom of Heaven, yeah. All four hours of it. They probably, but these yeah, kids in the film didn't ben even Her. have a TV. They've never seen a TV before. Yeah, but you know yeah. about Romans. You knew about Romans, Jack, when I you were seven. Were, I thought they were Greek. That's true. But I reckon back then you might have known about Romans and the different delineations between ancient Romans and ancient Greeks. You know? Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, this is, yeah, it's, <laughs> very, it's very boring. It's, very, it's a very boring sequence in which just uh, Adam Sandler rides around in a chariot for a bit. The only highlight is um, Russell Brand as a sort of nymph man yeah that was the bit that got me excited Satia, about this because yeah. i got really upset because i thought he was playing a satyr which is um, an ancient greek mythological being in a roman setting and i got very upset and then i looked it up and i think he's playing a fawn which is the oh, roman okay. version so don't worry <laughs> classics heads it's all fine and above board apart from the whole you know chariots and popping wheelies over a load of different chariots like Evil Knievel. Still exciting. And elephants. And elephants. I mean, the, the, once again, on him being a, a fawn, that's, again, just my favourite part of the movie, is just having fun and seeing what the characters look like in different settings. It's essentially, this is a deviant art page. <laughs> really. <laughs> like, I just want to see, like, characters I, I've met in different settings. That's yeah. a really good comparison because it really gets across the lack of internal consistency as well. <laughs> That's very oh, true. And, uh, and then we've, the next one is the space sequence, right? Which is great. 
I yeah, think I the most fine. straightforwardly good bit of the movie, maybe even fully full stop. So it's around that section that I sort of completely stopped paying attention to the film. <laughs> it was when it went to space. I just completely turned off. And it's I don't funny. That's like me happened. when I watch Armageddon because I kind of <laughs> with it until they go into space. I kind of like it when they're training to be astronauts. Yeah. And then when they go into space, I just don't care. <laughs> exactly. You're like, well, they're going to do it. It's more fun. Yeah, exactly. I completely it's, it's, agree. Uh, it's kind of that point where they, they start focusing in on the actual plot plot, which is so dull that you can see why they didn't. Because it, mm. it revolves around them building this new hotel and then trying to pick a theme for the hotel, which is so uninspiring oh, I thought you to were be a plot for a children's film. <laughs> Oh god, no, I got bedtime stories. <laughs> trying to build um, a new space hotel. Uh, no, yeah, I, got, and, um, I came back on board about the pitch because I was excited about that. I wanted to see what amazing creative choices that both Adam Sandler and Guy Pearce were going to make. Am I right in saying, I mean, Guy Pearce, this is a really fun bit, I think, when Guy Pearce picks musical theatre as their focus, which is great. Um, which I imagine awful. is like an Adam Shankman uh, addition because he is a sort yeah. of musical theatre guy. Um, sort of very well known in uh, circles for choreographing the musical Buffy episode. Oh, cool. Um, Has Guy Pearce done a proper full-fledged musical? Priscilla, Queen of the Desert doesn't count. Yeah, that was the one that jumped to mind immediately. I don't think he has. He is. I mean, if that's him singing, it's a nice voice. But otherwise, yeah. his footwork's quite good. I think you know. Yeah. Generally, he has the face for it too. He's really good. It reminded me of um, my favorite, sadly not Oscar-winning performance that everyone loves, Hugh Grant in Paddington Two. Yeah, Just yes. had that like vibe energy. I loved well, it. Believe it or not, as a musical theatre fan, this is the moment I sort of really perked up. And <laughs> I was like, oh. And this is the moment as well where there's a Hairspray reference because one of the chorus girls is dressed as Tracy Turnblad as from mm. Hairspray. And I was like, oh, yes, yes, Shankman. To the point where I was also a bit like, why are you guys ragging on musicals all of a sudden? I mean, as someone who cannot stand musicals, I'll just jump in and say that I think that I think his idea is radically misconceived, but he has actually done a lot of work on theming. He suggests a, a pool for sharks and a pool for jets, which I think is yeah. pretty fun. Like, I think that's good. And certainly, considering that Adam Sandler literally does not present a theme, his like he has, he has is, nothing. He basically like, his, theme is, his theme is the theme of the movie in that hotels are magical places that we should yeah. worship and respect. Because that just like it goes throughout the whole movie. <laughs> that like it, it's like a feature length peon to hotels. Yeah. And saying like aren't hotels nice? And it's like you can tell this is a pre crash film, right? Or like just in, <laughs> in the absolute like the beginning of the crash. It was before it. Oh, I thought you meant car the fucking. motion picture. <laughs> No, not I thought you meant racism uh, <laughs> everywhere. Uh, no, I mean a lot it, of different things. I mean, like the recession. Like it, oh, it's, right, it's yeah. a film about how great large hotels are and how carefully we should consider their theming. I mean, and it's like all the bland, in- corporate, interstitial places with superficial comforts are perfect for children. Which really I think, I, I get, to be fair, is right for Disney. Even yeah, down to the true. fact that the show that the kids are watching within the film is the Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. In Damn. which uh, the the Sprouse brothers live in a hotel, you know. Like this film is all yeah. about hotels. There's no life other than hotels in this film. Hotels and schools. 
it's fine. When it, because that it's about Skeeter's lived in that hotel forever, and it and that's portrayed as like nice, and I can't think of something sadder. <laughs> well, that's the big passionate speech of the film is like, isn't it? We we must remember how fun it is to go to a hotel as a child. And ride he up hasn't and down known. Any- I've just realised he's never known anything else. He grew up in a hotel. He doesn't yeah. know what a real home is like. But because that's that is the Adam Sandler of the whole movie, isn't it? That is the idea that he is he is the perfect man because of the Adam Sandler <laughs> he is movie. The perfect man. And the perfect man would be a man who would live in a hotel for all his life. And that's and you true. know you know what even tells you this even more. Wendy, his sister, leaves the hotel and she marries a man who leaves her and her job is in jeopardy and she has two really boring kids. And she's a communist. Oh, yeah. Disgusting. She's like, awful woman, vegetarian. Ugh, terrible. (laughs) And it's also not even the only film where Adam Sandler does live permanently in a hotel. So... Okay, Hotel Transylvania know. guy. Oh, yeah! Oh, like, yeah. Like, oh, he's, yeah! I forgot about that one. He, he loves hotels. I think the man himself likes hotels a lot, which is, <laughs> says a lot about him, I think. Hotels are Yeah, cool. I think it is worth kind of comparing the home life that you see the kids living in, in every other scene, including when he's a kid, versus the home life that we see at Courtney Cox's house. Uh, Skeeter's sister mm. is Courtney Cox. Because they portray that as like just about the worst thing in the world, which is that she's vegetarian... Um, they have books. He seems to not like the fact they have books, actually, I think, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the book is called Rainbow Alligator Saves the Wetlands. And he says, I'm not reading these communist books to you guys. <laughs> Haven't you got any real stories? It's just that weird, like, reactionary stuff that yeah. always bubbles up in Sandler movies. I think if Skeeter was around now, he'd be a QAnon guy, for sure. It's the classic <laughs> pro-Giuliani stance of books. <laughs> wants to have Giuliani it's saves everyone on 9 11. isn't a guest at the hotel. Oh shit. That would be good. Um well I also noticed that he makes fun of uh, his love interest for going to night school. Oh yeah. He he just finds that in itself he keeps saying night school in a silly voice like the audience should know that that's something people shouldn't like. Poor Kerry Russell in this film. Yes, she the, um... seems so confused at what to do all the time. Yeah. I've written down a line of hers at one point, which is ADR'd, I'm sure, because it's her walking away with Sandler after they've crashed into each other while she was on roller skates, and he has ended up wearing her hat. And oh, yeah. she, just, she just has the line while they're walking away, just going, hey, you're wearing my hat. You're going to wear that all day? And I just was like... That's just. It's not the way people speak. This is not. This is not a thing. It's, it felt she, so strange. It feels at times that she's having a hard time suppressing her personal dislike of the film and of <laughs> him, uh, because it cut her angry bits where she doesn't like him. Dom- that's most of the film's runtime, and they feel much more genuine than when she's supposed to be having a nice time with him. And of course, she's like the film's requisite petite brunette who finds Sandler attractive for some yep. reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Which every one of his films must have. Um, yeah, and I, I just I, I find her casting so questionable in this film. Carrie Russell is yeah. someone who I find quite like. I like uh, waitress. Well, she, she's um, great, yeah, but um, she's so unsuited to this. I think I think of her as like a very genuine, mm. nice character actor, and she just isn't in this. Like she she can't be because the film wants her to be some kind of harridan who simultaneously like is deeply in love with this awful, valueless man. 
<laughs> did that did that come across too harsh? I don't know. No, no I think fair. you kind of got it. <laughs> Deeply fair. Yeah. She does seem like the type of person who would do well in the sort of Disney type of movie. Yeah. But unfortunately, like, I'm just wanted to go back and look at sort of where Disney was at at the time this was made. Oh, shit, because yeah. Disney now is a very different company from Disney of 2008. Mm. And um, so other films they had come out in 2008. So they had uh, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Uh, perfect. Um, uh, Bolt. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so they're in that uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. Uh, they also had Wally as their sort of big one of the year. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, they started off this year with Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus, Best of Both Worlds concert. So they're they're, they're in they're in a bit of a sort of. <laughs> I think they were very much expecting that Prince Caspian release to be their big hit of the year, which it really wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so is this sort of like this is the point at which they decide to just completely give up and like outsource all of their stuff to branded entities like Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar. I mean, it's a few years away still because they don't buy Marvel until I believe right. 2011, and Star Wars till 2012. So they're still sort of in a world of just not knowing what they're going to do. Because next year they have uh, probably hoping that they were going to be propelled forward by the popularity of Bugsy. They had G Force, <laughs> yes. oh, the shit, uh, yeah. guinea pig action hero movie. Um, yeah, they're in the and the, the next year as well. They they try their sort of return to classic animation with the Princess and the Frog, which mm-hmm. I like, but is not really a move that works for them. Yeah, um, they're in the death spiral, aren't they? They just they're very yeah. This is a, probably a, you know they're very much like they're very lucky that in 2010 they have Toy Story three, which I think really pumps up how much yeah. money they've made and. And they're able to, and that entangled as well actually does really well for them. And they're able to go out and be like, okay, we're going to buy everything. Yeah. 2008, 2009 really is the time that um, you should have invested in Disney, isn't it? (laughs) That's the sort of, like, everything is terrible. Yeah, Yeah. everything is really bad. But don't worry, in 10 years, they're going to own fucking everything that you will ever watch. Just looking at the 2010, and you do have like Toy Story 3, Alice in Wonderland, and Tangled, and you know that probably was just enough for them to bounce back. Yeah. True, they have Prince of Persia and Tron Legacy that year. Oh my God, you're right. It's that weird experimental. Like (laughs) they do John John Carter, I think, comes 2011, right? So it's it's when they just have no idea what their brand is or what to do with their live action (laughs) work. They really are like yeah. And a few years later, after that, they have uh, the Lone Ranger. Oh, oh, wow! God. I'd actually forgotten that film existed, Jack. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> a double header I tell you, of cancellations. I, I'm not going to two cancellations, sure, but still, the train chase sequence in the Lone Ranger is one of the best action sequences I know. <laughs> so, yeah. and I'll Tron Legacy is like a fantastic, uh, like ambitious, clever yes. blockbuster that failed so resolutely, <laughs> yeah. as did like Tomorrowland, which is also a really interesting film that yeah. just like exactly. went absolutely nowhere. I mean, even John Carter has his moments. But yeah, it's it's very it's it's an interesting time for Disney, and I think this actually ended up being a bit of a money maker for them. I mean, it made two hundred million dollars worldwide. So, and on an Adam Shankman had already made a very well, a lucrative film proportionally for them, which was The Pacifier, right? That's right. 
um, which oh. was a very lucrative film. It made enough that um, that Jackie Chan made a knockoff of it the following year. So, uh, is that the one where he's the babysitter spy? I was I was reading about this. Turns out that Pacifier was offered to him first, to him and his production company, and then they passed on it. And then, uh, what, Jackie? you know, yeah. And then wow. the Pacifier itself made so much money that Jackie made this. If you watch them back to back, they are very, very similar. <laughs> it's called the, the only, Spy Next Door, right? Yeah, the and the only thing to to uh... like um, to recommend about the Spy Next Door is that the villain is the guy who plays Sportacus in uh, the Lazy Town <gasps> show. And so, uh, what's his name? Magnus Carlson, I think is his name. And he mm. um, he's actually athletic enough to do some of the fight scenes with Jackie Chan, which which is Sportacus. Yeah, so you never actually see the, you know the never normally see the villain actually like not a stunt double, but he really is. He's great in it. That's uh, it's not cool. A, again, please don't go watch the film. There's a bit <laughs> when uh, someone walks into shot just with a ladder, and I was like, "Oh, Jackie, here we I go. I know what you're gonna do. You're gonna get in the ladder. You're gonna spin it around. You're gonna <laughs> run up it and back down it and crap, trap two people in it, and that's the scene. I've seen it before. Do it again. Jackie, clap, clap, clap. Jackie Chan's gun is just ladder. <laughs> I mean, ironically, they're in a teppanyaki place when that happens. So, and, and it has that kind of like the same amount of like rote, hollow performativeness as a teppanyaki <laughs> grilling. So, yeah, it makes mm, sense. Mm. Who would win in a fight between Sporticus and Skeeticus? Sporticus is much more fit. Yeah, obviously. Sorry. He's <laughs> way more athletic. I had to bring it back sexy. to the movie. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. So, um, so, that, so that's my little Disney corner. I just thought it's just an interesting point for them that they sort of this is even just I I can't see Disney making this film now unless yeah. it was like something they were just like we need something to fill up time on Disney Plus with like Magic Camp, um, like a Disney Channel original they might have done maybe yeah. not not with the same cast or even the same production value. Can we uh, can we talk a little bit? about one of the other things that really annoys me about this movie is that I have no idea how this movie works. Why are the children's stories coming true? So maybe it's the dead granddad (laughs) is what I've been thinking about while you were, when you were mentioning that, you know, that actually does seem to be him talking from beyond the grave as opposed to just, you know, a a figure in the film's structure. Uh, Maybe it's the dead granddad. They kind of imply something about Bugsy having like a magical bell that it is always chimed that disappears quite quickly oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and also like i was i was really worried by the end of the film when they explain what happens to the characters afterwards and the kids go and like stay regularly with skeeter and with his wife who is carrie russell which I, yes. again like seems mad um they, sure. they buy a motel which is presented as like a nice outcome which i really don't understand and um the, the ending implies that the kids continue to like re- reality warp with their stories <laughs> knowingly yeah. that time and it reminded me of um, an ursula le guin story i don't know if you guys have read her much but she wrote a, a a book called a short kind of book called the the lave of heaven where a man has uh, the power to make his dreams come true every night and it's portrayed as a horrible thing because he hasn't got any control over it mm. and one day he unwittingly wipes out half of humanity <gasps> and i was thinking about that bit when he he they tell a story where he gets set on fire oh yeah he's terrified <laughs> about it and I just can't imagine what life... Like, do they keep that to their teens, to their adulthood? 
What a power to have for those children. Uh, I get There's the a Twilight idea. Zone it's, episode about this. I was going to say it's that one, the like, the what's that episode called? I can't remember. I'm Where sure. he sends things out to the cornfields. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the village one that um, Joe Dante did in the Twilight Zone movie. Uh, it has an extremely good Simpsons parody yes, as well yes, in the early uh, Halloween. That's episode. probably more seen than my Twilight Zone movie yeah. reference. I like how you went for the Twilight Zone movie as opposed to the original, the original. classic TV well, show. Just because I was <laughs> like, well, how can I, how can I reference this? <laughs> it's the most famous Twilight Zone episode. I would it's say. not uh, the it's Gremlin not. on the Gremlin wing. On yeah, the I think wing. it might, it might be a contender for it. It's that and also two. the um, and the guy who's like, oh, finally, I can read my books. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> it's a scary fair. door. It's, right? Burgess, it's Burgess Meredith as the guy. Yeah. Those are two <laughs> names. Fuck you, Josh. You know who Burgess Meredith is. Who? He's, How uh, dare you? No. Jack is sat there with a Batman TV show like <laughs> thing behind him. He was the penguin of the Batman TV I show. He's a penguin. very famous film noir actor as well. He was also um, he was Paulie. No, he's not Paulie. He's Mickey. Paulie? In, uh, he's he's Mickey in um, uh, Rocky. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Once you know his face, and he shows up in almost every movie made from like 1976 back oh, yeah. to like 1940 something. He's in all of them. Oh, Roger Barrett, and he's um. He's, uh, I think he's Walter Matthau's dad in Grumpy Old Men. Uh, I, I think he's just, he's like, um, he's like a mod, like, like an old version of Matt Frewer. You know, someone who just constantly shows up and stuff. <laughs> Josh's face at the... Matt Frewer with Max Headroom. This is bad, we're just listing shows to he, people. And he was he in was Watchmen. Yeah, in Watchmen. Uh, he was in The Stand as well. The original of the stand. He was in the lawnmower, lawnmower the man. Lawnmower man. <laughs> lawnmower <laughs> man. Uh, um, but yeah, I, so back to this movie. I really don't like that there is no sort Like, there are films where you don't have to have an internal logic to the magic yeah. that's happened. Like, Groundhog Day does it very well. Yeah, that's the yeah, one that really came up for me when I was watching this. I was thinking, well, it doesn't need it if Groundhog Day didn't. But Groundhog <laughs> Day is such a good movie without, like, it yeah. doesn't, like... Well, they, they had it. They shot yes, there, there a, a reason, a, right? And they cut yeah, it from the film. It's, an ex-girlfriend curses him. Oh. I'm so glad they didn't do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, this this film, because it is so lacking in anything, it's lacking in charm, lacking in jokes, that you're not okay to just go with a title of an Adam Sandler movie. Um, <laughs> they really, like, it feels as well like they gave... If, it feels like they gave about three different possible reasons why it might be happening. Like, ghost granddad, um, dad's dad's gone away and we're sad, because that has kind of kid magic, right? Yeah, like true. that liar, liar, that kind of energy. Yeah. That's so um, weird, though, as well, because it's like Yeah, it's horrible twice. in liar, liar. Yeah. Oh, what is the line in this? She, um, they she get a really has, sad has, speech about it, yeah. Has, make it quite Ke- prominent Ke- that they cannot Russell do anything with it. is like, you never know, miracles happen, and the little girl goes... You mean like dad coming back? Yeah, good <laughs> God. Horrible. And then dad never comes back. Like that's... Oh. Well, why would this he? His it. kids are fucking boring. His kids are boring and Adam Sandler punched him once. <laughs> I like when Adam Sandler's like acts like he was the wronged party in that too. And it good. seems like, so you went to this guy's house and then hit him. Right. Well, that seems like a good reason for a restraining order, I'd say, yeah. even. Uh, well, that he doesn't see them again for four years. Yikes. <laughs> and they, um, 
I was also surprised that they didn't wrap it up a bit more into the story at the end. Because the, the last fantasy sequence happens a while before the finale of the film. When mm. he, you know, he gets... It, actually, it's before the third act point when he gets this... Um, spoilers. When he gets this, uh, like, hotel job that he's been looking for his whole life. That's, you know, the fantasy sequence is, is a bit before that. And then it doesn't really happen again. There's a kind of tie-up sequence when he's driving back to the school with yeah, Terry yeah, Russell yeah. that intercuts it with other imagery as if he learned something from the stories of stuff that he told, <laughs> which, you know, is very underdeveloped. Yeah, and um, and then it just stops. The film just ends. <laughs> and, it, and it never really ties back into anything. Like, even Kendall, you know, some of the film could have made more sense. Kendall trying to explode a bunch of children would make a bit more sense if maybe he'd been magically compelled into a kind of villain role. Well, I was but thinking we sound like we're trying to fix the film. I, don't, which, I never well, we read it that he specifically wanted to kill the children. He, he has a good that he... suspicion that there are children in there. Right? I think it's more he just doesn't care, which is a different thing. I gr- granted, it's still bad. Yeah, it it's is still, still a big jump from from where he was as a character before. But they don't really suggest that he's like, I'm happy to kill someone to get my way, which mm. is the kind of implication of that. You it know? also doesn't make sense, and like he doesn't know that like Skeeter is rushing his way back here to stop the explosion. He doesn't know that, and so what is his passion with? Like, we've got to get this done right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, huh. yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> he actively like kind of builds a situation, doesn't he? He gets them all to turn off their phones so yeah. they can't be contacted. So he builds a situation where that can happen can for I some just reason. Say that one of my favourite moments in that rushing back is when the two kids see Skeeter from the window and wave at him, and he's just like, "Get out of there!" And they just turn and run away. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a back really into strange... the bomb building. <laughs> it's a really strange moment. <laughs> Like, oh, it's just um, yeah, it's weird. It's funny you've mentioned like trying to fix this movie because I had a moment where I was like, in any other movie there would be a part where the bad guy learns about the bedtime stories. Yes, and, and tries would, to exploit like, it, kidnaps the kids, try, and is like, you would, tell like, this story. You'd make the bad guy like the other uncle, like, yeah, uh, so, so, and uh, but he's sort of a dick uncle. Um, but he then like tries to warm up to the kids and tries to get them to get a bedtime story where he would win. That would be much um, better. Well, it would just add some sort of <laughs> jeopardy other than this fucking school being blown. Also, how many well, the schools school get blown like... up for yeah. hotels? <laughs> it's like the most generic sort of family film subplot, I think. The, the evil developer wants to shut down the school club, library, something Maniacal like that. Lab. It's, Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. the... Um, it's the plot of the Ali G movie, isn't it? Because yeah. it's so obvious as a plot. <laughs> which which so, you know, like, predates this film by a fair whack. Um, it is, I, just, I was sitting there thinking, like, does this, does this is something that happens often? <laughs> like, schools are blown up in, pros, in progress for magical Shut hotels up. to be built. I mean, I don't want to poo-poo everything you're saying, but I've been to three schools in my life and each one of them has been blown up for a hotel. Oh, no. So... I mean, the secondary school I went to was blown up, but it was blown up for another school, which ah, makes sense. So, but yeah. it isn't a school just a short-term hotel for the day? <laughs> when you think yes. about it? Yes. Look, let's not forget as well, 
hotels are magical places. They are. Therefore, like they castles. should blow up skills. Because... Also, you know what they teach in schools? Communism. And what they teach in hotels definitely is do when rugged Cox individualism. Is the... I was about yeah. to say that Courtney yeah. Cox was the prime minister of the school. She's the prime minister of the school, if you think she is. Did uh, did we all like Adam Sandler's ringtone? Uh... I love one of those like unexplained but like loud but not funny things that happens in his films. You know, Heavy, heavily um... influenced by Crazy Frog, I would say. So it was just going ring, 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 and then it would just scream. And then it goes. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it. Um, I want it. We've not talked much about uh, what it was apparently the thing that did best in test screenings for this movie. Uh, Russell Brand. Yeah. So wow. I'm going to come right out and say Russell Brand is responsible for both of my laughs in this film. And right. at the beginning, I was like, you know what? Maybe this is this is the film. This is the Russell Brand film. But then very quickly after those two laughs, I went, oh no, it's very bad. It's extremely terrible. Some early laughs then. Yeah. Do you, you want to hear, yeah. hear my yeah. laughs? So at the beginning, Adam Sandler's having a little chat with Russell Brand in a kitchen. <laughs> and uh, he asks, oh, can I have some French fries? And he goes, of course you can. You're my best friend. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. incredible yeah. delivery and incredible exposition. At but the same also, time. that is the moment where Adam Sandler then just throws <laughs> French fries in his face, and he's like, well, "Why is this happening?" Of course, he can. You're my best friend. Incredible. Um, and the second bit is after he's he's telling the, I think it's the first time that Russell Brand is invited into the children's bedroom to listen to the bedtime stories. Yeah. And Sandler tells the first iteration and he goes something along the lines of, where's the arc? There's no arc. I have not learned anything. <laughs> I thought that was also incredibly good. And prophetic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it sums up the whole film. And then he, after he, that, that, those bits are the most fun because he's sort of like stupider than the kids in those moments, yeah. which is obviously like a fun dynamic, isn't it? He, he loves the... Um, when, when he ends the story by just getting a free Ferrari, <laughs> he's like, that's brilliant, I love that. And then the kids find it questionable, and that's when he's like, oh, no, yeah, there's no art. Yeah. <laughs> I, just think I mean, I do enjoy the, the moment where where he is, like, the translator. Like, it's a, it's not a great yeah, that's joke, fun. but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's... When he falls asleep and does a scream because he has night terrors. Um, I like that, that It's a nice callback. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it works. It has a structure to it, Jack. Come on. There's, some more, here. there's some more good uh, mental health representation in this film where you're never. So he's got the night terrors, Russell Brand. And then you have the Richard Griffiths of it all where you're not sure if he's just a germaphobe or if he has full blown OCD. Which is but, difficult. But he um, he gets cured by... He gets cured by hugging. Having, <laughs> being asked twice for a hug. Yeah. And then, and leaves then screaming. The, the, he leaves the heady world of uh, hotel ownership to become a school nurse. Yeah. And something that passed me by on watching this originally is that he is clearly supposed to be uh, Hilton, right? Yeah. And his daughter is clearly supposed to be Paris Hilton, which yes. I suppose would have been not terribly current, but current enough. 
at that point. I think it's fairly current. 2008, that's kind of... Was her show She's still running? Little, yeah. She was back into music by then, I think. But... But yeah, I feel like isn't the hottie and the naughty around then. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So this is a biting bit of Paris Hilton satire <laughs> in that genre. I... But it's not exactly satire because... She's relatively nice. Yes, yeah. And I like how they pair her off with Russell Brand because they just need to pair everyone off. <laughs> yeah. Bugsy gets a pair at the Everyone end. needs to fuck. I yeah. spent the it's... whole film thinking that the actress playing Violet Nottingham was Alice Eve. And no, it wasn't until it's the bomber. end that I went, as a completely different person. They have the same this, this film face. Has, this film has a strangely international cast because you have... Theresa Palmer and Guy Pearce, who are Australian. And you Lucy have Lucy Wallace. Wallace. Well, she's from New Zealand. It's not the same oh. thing, Josh. Um, Important. <laughs> Oceania, though. So yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, you've got Richard Griffiths and Russell Brand from the UK. Yeah. Uh, you've got Kerry Russell, Courtney Cox, and Adam Sandler from uh, from the US. It's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange cast, this film. It's a strange mishmash of people who I wouldn't really put together. It's very strange that like I feel like Lucy Lawless hadn't done anything for a while, and popping up in this film is yeah. a strange. She... She's quite good value for money in the film, I think, as well. And she, she yeah, like Guy Pierce, I think, gets the register of the film mm. more than you know anyone else, and is just playing it for like simple laughs as quickly as possible. Guy Pierce is the closest thing we've had to like a Shooter McGavin bad guy in the yeah. in the Happy Madison run. Do you want to hear my one laugh? On yes, this film? I would love to. So I have two candidates because I didn't really laugh at all, but these are the ones I found <laughs> funny. I didn't, I don't, I didn't laugh. Sorry, I, I, I find it very hard to laugh at a comedy um, when I'm Same. on my own, and uh, it, his movies aren't funny as well. So Skeeter gets told in the story that he'll be set on fire, and so he drives to like Home Depot or something. And while he's driving, it's a really simple joke. There's just songs about fire on the radio. Mm. And Adam Sandler got to do some faces, but that was when it was right to pull faces. (laughs) And the selection of songs made me laugh because there's like a Bruce Springsteen song in there and it's quite mournful suddenly. That was fun. But was it funny? Probably not. No, I'm recounting it out loud. This this was the big joke at the end of the trailer as well. So, you know, this is what they were selling the movie. But immediately following that, and I think you can trace what I like about his movies because it's another stupid kind of like tiny extra moment. He goes to the shop and he's like looking at flame retardant gloves and a spray that stops your Christmas tree from setting a light. And he's spraying himself all over with it. And the shop attendant comes over to say like, you know, please don't do that in here. Actually, weirdly, he says it, those are for Christmas, which I think is <laughs> the strangest objection to it. And he turns around and accidentally sprays the man in the eyes and the man starts screaming. And then he just stops and sprays himself in the eyes <laughs> as if it was going to do anything. And I suppose I, I laughed then, but I suppose not at, not with the film i laughed at the film but i did like this man's performance of someone who's just been sprayed in the eyes with a chemical by a stranger and that he tried his best to make that a fun thing yeah i like um we all seem to have different things that made us laugh in this movie we're all different people yeah you know i suppose i didn't laugh on purpose at any time right i laughed (laughs) against the film's intent against your will (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I assume the film intended to make me laugh with the uh, silly um, uh, screaming from Lucy Lawless. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. 
I, I find like that when I could actually recognize actual jokes. I mean, I think Jack, you're right on the money when you said like there's not actually many jokes in the film. It's mostly just like about events occurring that they think are funny, uh, more than there, yeah. there being any kind of setups or payoffs. It's a sitcom. That, yeah, without any like structure. Yeah, so no, no actual sits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Um, I've seen the Goldbergs. Well, it's workplace, isn't it? It's actually. Yes. I'd say it's more. It's more. Finally, just, someone are coming to bat against the Goldberg. <laughs> you should listen to our should, episode where yeah, I have a breakdown about it. it. <laughs> yeah, the bits where I noticed jokes were about things that I don't. I don't think it's funny because I don't share Adam Sandler's politics. Like he makes a joke about her driving a hybrid. He's like, she's like, oh, you drive a truck, and he's like, yeah, well, you drive a hybrid. Yeah, and I'm there like, yes, that seems fair, <laughs> and also like a reasonable choice. For anyone, let alone if they're environmentally conscious. Okay, well we're good. It, it's quite. <laughs> it, yeah, there's some, also something quite disturbing about those two's relationship within the film because she is only with him because of the children's story that is told. Oh, so this wow. is a what's that film with Will Ferrell? Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah, does that happen in that where where he gets? No, that's each... not the. They try to compel some things to happen to not happen, I think, because they're written in the book. Mm, yeah. But he never existed before she wrote that. So I think it's... In this one, right. I, I read it more as that if he pushes it too far away from reality, it doesn't happen. So therefore, there must be some kind of latent thing there anyway. Yeah. But again, I mean, the film is so poorly written and so badly like cast that you never get any chemistry with them, even when they're supposed to like each other. So I certainly couldn't see a spark when they're supposed to not like each other. Well, it's, it's not the, when the Harry film, Met Sally, let's just say. The film is so badly written that you you have that sort of thing. And what's really weird about it is that there is no moment where she could see something charming in him. Yeah. No. She sees other him than... kind of failing to care for the kids many times. <laughs> it's It's all just... Um, it's the same thing that happens in Fifty First Dates or many of these films where it's just like I'm Adam Sandler, you gotta love me without any evidence yeah. <laughs> as to why oh, he's, he's got nice shorts you're right, they they meet each other on the beach because <laughs> she's compelled you're there. right, he does have nice <laughs> shorts <laughs> well Jack, are you, are, are you wrong? he's not they're good shorts big bermuda shorts nice he demonstrates his value by stepping on that guy's stomach and saving him from a fish yeah and then he compels her to act like his girlfriend when they go into a restaurant so they can belittle other women (laughs) and then that he finds a penny and that's what turns her off yeah you say that he he doesn't go too far away from from reality but that hokey pokey scene is completely like there's no running logic within this film yeah they are possessed (laughs) because at the end they do say what is happening yeah um i think i may have had a laugh there actually now i think oh wow (laughs) that read was good she she did look really concerned Um, that is the that is the thing. So I do believe that the children have forced poor Kerry Russell to fall in love against her will <laughs> with this, and she's now stuck in this loveless marriage. They cursed her with a baby. You, you have to think after that taste of power that those kids are going to carry on doing it, right? Well, it's implied Big that time. they get a dinosaur to eat Adam Sandler. <laughs> I mean that that I would pay to see. Like, it would be a truly wonderful ending to the film. 
yeah, it's uh, it's a movie. I, yeah, I really don't like this movie at all. No, this is absolutely. I don't. I don't like hugely dislike it. I think he's done much worse films, and I've seen much worse family films as well. Yeah, but there really is nothing to recommend about the film. No. I couldn't think of a single thing that I liked about it. I think outside of I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry this is my least favourite actual Adam Sandler film we've covered so far mm. the ones where he wrote, directed and edited it yeah. oh, the, one, the ones that he stars in <laughs> um, like we've covered ones where, like, like the, the Rob Schneider movies the David Spade movies the Steve Zahn weird one. Oh god um, <laughs> which one's that? I think Strange that's Strange Wilderness. Wilderness. I've never heard. Don't of that watch before. it. <laughs> okay, good. All right, that's off the list. Don't even. I don't know. I feel like you, I feel like fucked. you could do you could do a good um, video on on Strange Wilderness. If anyone could, it would be you. But uh, yeah, according to my letterbox list, this is my lowest, uh, my second lowest ranking. Adam Sandler star, and the lowest is Chuck and Larry. Yeah. Is this just, just a weird, like... Because he does kind of go to this right-wing kind of thing for a while. Because Chuck and Larry has shades of that, too. I mean, so does Zohan. Yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, I don't know. Zohan's politics are so specific and so confusing <laughs> that I don't think I could really put a political compass on it. I can. I don't want to go into hey, it again. Yeah, we, we okay. had this whole discussion on our Zohan episode. But it's nice to know... Full disclosure, I haven't of... seen it since I was about... Since 2008, so, but you, you know. You, you seem to have the same sort of attitude I had about it now, so... I'm nice. It's nice to know I, I, I'm not alone on that. Yeah, he's definitely got some right leanings in uh, anger management as well, which is another one where uh, Giuliani shows up and is like... God. There's a sort of, like, soft undercurrent of, like, reactionaryism throughout. I mean, even the, the kind of... The general plot is like, oh, these kids are soft... Because their mum feeds them wheat They're for us, fucking lefty liberal beta cuck children. That's what they yeah. are. And they need to be toughened up by stories. Oh, no, that kid, of the six year old, does think he does have like an eight year old that he thinks is hot. So I don't know if they're beta cucks. I mean, that kid's <sighs> chatting it about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. In a, in a really that's distressing a, that's a bit very of uh, strange child sexualization. Um, and and huh? uh, the Paris Hilton style character wants to know all about it. Well, to be like, yeah. To be fair, kids that age so have weird crushes. Josh, you want to know all what? about it? Not, I want to know all about Trixie Mattel or whatever her name was. What <laughs> he hasn't got name? a crush. He says she's hot. She's hot. All right. Oh yeah, that's true. That's, that's why a slightly different fit. word. <laughs> and they like they like that joke enough that they do it again at the end of the film. Trisha Sparks. That's the name of the love interest for the child. <laughs> It's a weird for a kid in a movie as well. You know, Trisha Sparks. I guess I was also surprised watching this that like the kids don't get more time on screen because they actually don't contribute to the plot terribly. Well, like you don't get an individual, say like Jumanji for instance, where the kids yeah. each have their own little arc and stuff. It doesn't really have that character to it. Like they're not on screen apart these from when kids they're telling the stories. Are quite dire. They're boring <laughs> children. Shit. Bad they're, actors. They're yeah. really so. bad actors. Yeah, true. Yes, this is true. But also, for two generations in this family, all the focus has been put on the male child, and the and the female child is just completely ignored. <laughs> Basically, all of it, and they are just there to not be a boy. You know, it's yeah. so strange. 
I think Wendy probably is educated like MA level. She's (laughs) she's like a principal of a school. So I think she, and she has a house that isn't a hotel. Yeah. So I think she's doing fine, you know. And then she just leaves. She goes to Arizona and you can tell it's Arizona because everything is like sand on the walls of um, one hotel room. They have uh, Mesoamerican designs on the pillows in her hotel room, yes. Beautiful. Now that's our direction. <laughs> Speaking of designs, one of my notes is just that they really didn't like the design of the new hotel. No. When they show you the model and it's just like similar to the hotel they're in now, but just very Taller. tall in the middle. It's got a big chode. Yeah, essentially. And it has a big flashy sign on top in Guy Pierce's pitch as well that says Broadway. <laughs> so that too. <laughs> I wonder what kind of area they're in that that there is a school that's well situated to be replaced with by like a resort hotel. Isn't you it know, like Santa Clara or something like that. But like, what, what amenities is this school near <laughs> that suits? <laughs> this is I realize a very nitpicky and dull thing to say. But let's talk about the zoning of the hotel. Maybe it's the school... well, it's, uh, that's part of the end of the movie. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I'm sorry, Aisha I forgot Tyler. about the end of the movie where I yes. where, where they're like, Don't worry, there's the beachfront property you could get. And he goes, yeah. well, the beachfront property was my first choice. <laughs> but it wasn't available. And Adam Sonny goes, It's available now. <laughs> this is how <laughs> never yeah. never brought up before. This is how town planning works. Do you think they redrafted oh. the film at all, or do you think it was just one run through? No, mm. well, what, what happens very through. often with these movies um, that we've noticed is uh, there is a credited, a guy credited with the story and a co-writing credit on the screenplay, Matt Lopez, and then the other writer on the screenplay is Tim Hurley. So I imagine Matt Lopez wrote a script, and then Tim Hurley came in and was like, I'm going to make this right for Sadler. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> just teared up for the AS. That's sort of what happens. It's really sad. So you're, they're not labors of love, is what you mean? No. I, I, Every film I mean, gets I mean, ten Cloverfield laned. <laughs> so shall shall we? Uh, does anyone have any final things they want to say on bedtime stories? Uh, um. Uh. Fuck Nick Swardson. Who's that? That's one. I mean, he's, he's just he plays the demolition guy at the um, at the school. I didn't really have much of a problem with Nick Swartz. No, I just don't like his face. Um, (laughs) I hated that this film was during what I can only assume is the height of the bacon is a meme time. Because Adam Sandler gives that impassioned speech about... Oh no, Russell Brand gives an impassioned speech about how good bacon is. I remember it was at a time... Where everyone was talking about bacon and bacon was like a was personality. Was that when Jim Gaffigan did his sort of bacon stand-up set? I guess so. There was a he had sort like bacon-flavored everything. Yeah, and it was like, oh, I can has bacon. Yep, 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 yep. All that kind of time, and I fucking hated it. Baconese. And yeah, and I was just sad to relive that. Uh, I hated that Journey was on the soundtrack because they just needed a big song to finish on. Yeah. Just get the kids out. Yeah, exactly. And I again, it goes well, back to funny, what I'm saying. Well, it's funny, you know, there's that um. Adam Shankman's next film is Rock of Ages. Fuck's sake. Another yeah. classic, yeah. Yeah, it just goes back to, I think I was saying... Hit after hit. Like, <laughs> I think I was saying like 20 episodes ago at this point, something about like Adam Sandler just loves filling his films with like awesome music. And I just, I hate it. 
<laughs> that's it. It's just, you know, when people go like, oh, Journey, that's awesome. Or like Van Halen, what an awesome band. I just disgusting. It's, it's the thing with using Journey as well, is that is anyone going to use it as well as they did in The Sopranos? Uh... I don't know the context. I haven't finished The Sopranos yet, so... Oh, shit. Well... Uh-oh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so... Cool. Spoilers for an old show. <laughs> Spoilers for, like, yeah, a 15-year-old show at this point. I think, Shout- like, I got some ironic laughs out of the, the film where it was so, like, flagrantly trying to make fun of, um, like, people who care about their children's welfare, I guess. Uh <laughs> One of the other children's book titles, we've talked about the classic Rainbow Alligator Saves the Wetlands. Yeah. Um, and there's also um, like something like Sandy Squirrel Gets Her Bike Helmet. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was hysterical uh, in terms of how much it tried to caricature people for bike safety, <laughs> I guess. When I was a kid, we used to go around on the bike and we used to headbutt cars. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I, I think there was like, there, there's this whole kind of like American thing where it's like nothing could be worse for you than having a bike because they do it in 40 year old virgin as well. Right. Where he's portrayed as like awful for, for cycling to places. And I think that is like, so not only do you have a bike, but you want to be safe while you're on it. Where are you? Where are you from, bud? Yeah. I don't know. I do like the bike stuff in 40 year old virgin. Yeah. I mean, at least that's like comedic. Like there is a, there is a reason to have that. It's more so than just uh, having the title of a book. I can't get over that he hates that she goes to night school and wants to make clear his disdain for that. And we never find out why. Like, there's no plot reason for that either, just to get her out of the house or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yet, it, it, they they repeatedly mentioned that night school is something to not be proud of. My review for this on Letterboxd was that I think it's the laziest script that's ever been produced. No, Jack. Come on, that <laughs> must mean, be worse. That, that must be worse. But it is. It's really lazy. It's up there. Yeah. It's it's really it really has no sort of respect for for its, its like, audience. If you fed an AI like a load of family movies, it would come out with something like this as a story. <laughs> yeah. uh, it really and even down to like having extremely generic fantasy sections. It's it's the sort yeah. of like it is. It's it's disrespect for a ch- child audience. It's. This yeah. idea. They'll just take anything because they're kids. And I don't know, I, I really hate that kind of stuff. And I think it just ended up with me hating this movie even more. Big agree. Sh- shall, I, shall I talk about the awards? Yeah, have we got some yes, awards? Please. Of course we do. Oh. This is, this, there's some, there, I'm going to build to the, the best awards for this one. But um, of course, we always, always have the BMI Film and TV Awards for Rupert Gregson Williams. They did it because his score for this perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it was a score. We re- um, of course on you don't mess with Zohan. I mentioned that Sadler won the uh, Kids Choice Award Australia for favorite movie star, tied for this, and you don't mess with the Zohan. Huh. Mm. This is a big hit in Oz, Oz, Oz I imagine. Proud of him for that. Yeah, I hope he has that up on the mantelpiece. Uh, this was nominated for a Young Artist Award for Best Performance in a Feature Film Supporting Young Actor for Jonte Lipscomb, who plays, I believe, um, the nephew. Uh, he was nominated. He got nominated. Okay. <laughs> Tough year. Uh, but. 
he loses to uh, Brandon Suhu from Tropic Thunder, who I believe is like the little Asian boy in yeah, Tropic Thunder. Yeah, much better. <laughs> okay. Who, who I believe stabs Ben Stiller at some point. Oh, okay. Good. Um, I, I, I've said this before when we talked about this award. I do believe like the young the young artist award is like a curse in that you will never work again because I'm just looking at this <laughs> yeah. list of kids, two of who don't have IMDb pictures. Oh, You've got God. people like Nathan Gamble for Marley and Me, Dylan Everett for The Devil's Mercy, Austin McDonald for Kit Kittredge, An American Girl, oh. <laughs> Devon Gearhart for Funny Games. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Just, just, just a cavalcade of kids who sadly probably don't get much work these days. Well, I've seen um, funny games. I know what happens to that child. So makes that sense. child's picture in the film in here on IMDb is a very young picture of him, which I can only assume was taken in two thousand eight. Yeah. Uh, this was also nominated at the Motion Picture Sound Editors Awards. Okay. Where it was nominated for best sound editing music in a feature film, I could see that. I assume it's for that moment where he's listening to all the fire songs. Yeah, or it's just like the the, the mix is good. Yeah, like I, I think there's like because with fantastical stuff, you know, you've always got to be quite on it with sound design and sound edit. So, yes, it it's yeah, a, it loses point. to the Dark Knight. Uh, also, much better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. much much yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, I can't believe that those two films exist in the same space. That's so <laughs> wild to me. Yes, you're right. What a the summer. No- the, do- the nominees are The Dark Knight Wins, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, mm, Iron Man, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, mm, Slumdog Millionaire, mm. yep. and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Mm. Okay. All right. It's, it wow. is, it's interesting that uh, Bedtime Stories is in stories it. Got <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, wonder, I wonder whose brother... <laughs> in there. it's like best song right when you look at best song awards and it's always just the weirdest mishmash of stuff because it's such a tiny like eligibility criteria anyway that just random christian films get nominated for like best song all the time because they're one of the few song the few things that had an original song yeah yeah and everyone was, all the right people were registered and it was submitted correctly we're back to uh the <gasps> Grand Premio International <gasps> del Doppiaggio. <laughs> Yay! I love it here. Um, In sunny, oddly enough, wherever we are. Wherever this award takes place, oh, it's Italy. Um, well, yeah, but a, where? A, um, I'm guessing that uh, Bedtime Stories didn't get released until 2011 in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> because it is present at the 2011 awards. Good God. <laughs> oh my god Did, maybe just people just it really stuck in people's minds you know? i think they maybe. probably had to go back and really work on that roman section just to, to, be just fair, to bring it, it up might to it might be an imdb error because all the other nominees are from 2008 as well so okay. um, maybe they just it, didn't run it for like three years it is a special award to it's a prize to the young voice actors so it's for actors who dubbed over characters in american films um uh, and all the nominees won for this but uh we're focusing mostly on bedtime stories for arturo valley who dubbed uh 
someone who is played by Jonathan Morgan Helt. Jonathan Morgan oh, Helt. Height. Height. Jonathan Morgan Height. Sorry, apologies. Apparently, he is the nephew. So I'm guessing the other young actor who was nominated was Young Sandler. Wait, what was the name of the kid who got nominated for the other thing? Uh, young Sandler, who's in it for like oh less God. than a minute. John Tay Lipscomb. Oh, um, John Tay Lipscomb played, is credited as birthday party kid. I just saw this. He's that kid who's like, when when they say like, oh, cookies. <laughs> cookies, finally food. Oh my God. That, that is insane. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally insane. Oh. That he is nominated for that. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, here we are. <laughs> Is he working still? Bits. Okay. He was in something okay, called Dead. He was in something called Dead Time Stories. <gasps> what? Huh. Lipscomb. It's a TV, yeah, TV miniseries called Dead Time Stories. Wow. Huh. He's also in another show called Pubert. Nice. <laughs> but we've gotten really to. Like. That's a very good name. We've gotten to my favourite nomination. Which is at uh, the Australian Film Institute Awards, uh. where, <laughs> where <laughs> this film is nominated for an Australian Film Institute International Award for Best Actor. For Jonathan Price, right? For Guy Pearce. Yes. <laughs> because all the nominees in this category are Australian. My guy. Uh, he loses yeah. to Russell Crowe in State of Play. Uh. And the other two nominees are Anthony LaPaglia for the TV show Without a Trace and Martin Henderson for the TV show House, MD. All good. 2008. <laughs> I had what no time? idea Anthony LaPaglia was uh, Australian, so that's good to know. Oh, did, did his convincing English accent in Frasier really free? <laughs> He's uh, he's in something else that I've enjoyed. I don't come think... on, Daphne. Yeah, but I just you know you just think that that's American playing. Uh, um, singing. But they, those are English. the awards. <laughs> I really wish Guy Pearce had won Best Actor for this movie. Mm. Do we? Do, does everyone have their MVPs and LVPs? Yeah, absolutely. Wait, not even a Teen Choice Award. Where had the Kids' Choice Awards uh, Australia? It was a joint win. Yeah. Oh, and it was, it was also nominated at the Kids' Choice Awards USA for Favourite Movie and Favourite Movie Actor. Okay, cool, cool. Sorry, sorry, I skipped over that one. Thanks, buddy. I needed to know. Didn't win, didn't win. A lot of little bits blimp awards. What, do, you, do you want to know what won? State of Play. <laughs> 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 yeah, go uh, on. Will Smith... One actor for Hancock. Okay. Uh, Don't really see that as a kid's film, but okay. <laughs> and um, <laughs> High School Musical Free Senior Year, one for favourite movie. Yeah, fine. Yeah, the, the other two nominees were Iron Man and The Dark Knight. <laughs> wow. Okay. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> uh, thanks for that. Um, Will, do you want to give us your, your MVP? For, for yeah, stories. I have a clear pick for this one. Um, it's Kendall. Ooh. I think Kendall is a hard worker. Yeah. He's incredibly motivated. He clearly has good ideas. Yeah. 
we haven't seen the five years where he was climbing to the top of the ranks. And wouldn't you go mad and try to explode some children if you had your job <laughs> taken away from you by the janitor? I think I might. Mm. And I'm also going to say that on a, on a meta level, Guy Pierce is actually trying, which almost immediately puts him over the top. It helps that he's with Lucy Lawless, who is also trying. Poor Richard Griffiths, honourable mention, but literally seems like he's been like wheeled from scene to scene <laughs> yeah, and not yeah. really given any context of his performance. And those are my reasons why Kendall is the best. That's a really good, really good reason. Also, yeah, I forgot to mention when we were discussing the film, I really liked Kendall's hair when they show a shot of his head from the back and it's kind of like swooped into the middle from the sides. Mm. I really like that, like a sort of duck. He, his faces in the parody stuff, like the fantasy stuff is also fantastic and it's super like silly <laughs> in a way that's more fun than Sandler. Also, yeah, I meant to say, as someone with a sort of phobia of this, Guy Pearce deserves a fucking Oscar for lying on the floor and having a dog lick his face, covering it in a in a one inch thick layer of slobber, yeah. that's one of the most disgusting things I've I've seen in any film, ever. <laughs> and he just took it. My Josh, God, you, never, you you were never present when I would come home and Ruby would do that to me all the time. Oh, oh, just <laughs> I, as a dog owner, I also could never do that. I have a pug, and you do not want that anywhere near your face. It's not good. What can I say? I'm a dangerous man. Oh, just uh, fucking <laughs> disgusting. Anyway, good choice for MVP. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel like I wanted to stake my claim because I think he's one of the few sensible candidates. Yeah, good call. Josh, do you have an MVP? Yeah, it's the runtime. <laughs> it's um, yeah. 99 minutes long. And you know what? It went past quickly. Yes. And for that... I think the fantasy stuff helps it kind of zip along, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got so many different sections that you you kind of break it down into, it's like a quibby where everything's sort of like in a six minute section and you go, oh cool, that bit's done. There's another bit, there's another bit. I know in most films these refer to as scenes, but they don't feel like, they're sort of like weird chapters, but without the without the Quentin Tarantino-esque dickheadery of it all. So it just zips along and is done quite quickly. Like I was really not looking forward to watching this all week so much so that i put it off until monday we normally record on a monday we're doing it on a tuesday i i watched it last night last possible moment and it wasn't a terribly long ordeal so for that i'm really thankful and yeah there we go that's it excellent uh, <laughs> my my mvp is uh tim Hurlihy. Because despite us making fun of it earlier, I did enjoy his young Richard Griffiths impression. <laughs> they give him a beard, kind of like Colonel Sanders, like a young Colonel Sanders type beard it's as well. It's really odd. No Colonel Sanders reference. reference. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And he came on, and I because I knew he was doing a young Richard Griffiths. And I was just like, he does look quite right. Like. Mm. I'll say actually Richard Griffiths was a runner-up for my uh, MVP as well, just because yeah. I just like him. He's just he's so he's so likable to Same. see, um, and and the Ming the Merciless costume does does add to it. Yeah, important. Yeah. Well, do you have do you have an LVP? Yeah, Wendy fucking lives. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> 
um i think wendy like wendy was actually a candidate for my mvp but i'm trying to get in the zone for the sandler kind of ness of it and i think like fuck her and her attempts to like look after her children <laughs> forget her for trying to make a life without her husband who's left her uh yeah awful woman and uh, definitely i think skeeter's more fun which is important yeah cool yeah that's true <laughs> there's my take <laughs> I love it. It is. I I do like. What is the point of casting Courtney Cox and just giving her no jokes? Like, is that sort of? She's not even. Yeah. For five minutes, so little to do in the film. Five minutes at the end and thirty seconds in the middle. It's like what was that one we watched the other day where someone? Oh, Ernest Borgnine just disappears for like (laughs) from Strange World. Strange World. He's in the first five minutes. He disappears for eighty minutes and then comes back. I think Lots of people Borgnine, did that even, in Strange World. Even more so than Courtney Cox is really not a throwaway actor, right? No. You can't just chuck him in a movie and then take him out. This is um, this is the second uh, Happy Madison Courtney Cox appearance, and it's huh. just it, it feels like she was barely used in uh, the Longest Yard as well. True. <laughs> oh, I thought she had that. more sense than that. <laughs> yeah, it's very oh, strange. Um, Josh, your LVP? Yeah, it's the runtime. <laughs> <laughs> It's too long. It just, like, I had to sit down and watch this film and it went on for longer than 90 minutes on a 90-minute movie premise. It goes on for 99 minutes. That's nine minutes too long. Nine minutes I could have had back from my life to not watch this film. And therefore, it's the runtime. Josh and I have uh, a similar theme in our LVPs because my LVP is Tim Hurley for writing this movie. <laughs> <laughs> how many um how many episodes of this have you guys <laughs> 24 this is the 24th so, episode do you have like a running counter of how much like breathing time on earth that you've lost to this i can as an enterprise i don't know if that's too sad we to can think look about, it up but this is probably one of the shorter happy matters i would have thought i mean and they're probably not all terribly long um no both um both i think zohan and i now pronounce you chuck and larry border on two hours oh my god can you imagine in the edit sitting down well actually i can't imagine working on this film (laughs) can you imagine editing a podcast that goes on for two hours about those films (laughs) because that's what one of us is gonna do (laughs) um yes i'm I'm left speechless uh... (laughs) just i just suddenly looked down the long corridor of the adam sandler films and thought about how yeah like you're quite right about how long this felt as an experience yeah at least as you were saying the structure of this because i find a problem with his movies is that they're all every scene is so similar Mm. that you really can't it's like lockdown you can't remember the difference between the days so it feels like it's taken longer than it has at least this you know you know well there's only four sequences like this in the film i've already (laughs) seen two so you know so we're halfway yeah exactly i'm glad you get it i'm glad you understand our pain we've got we've got not next week but the week after we have funny people which i believe is two and a half hours long. yeah it's unconscionably long and i think it's good but yeah i'm i'm really yeah. excited to go certainly back trying to people um, it's weird because I'm my, my, my kind of specialty I think is my ability to really like tolerate bad films <laughs> and I've made kind of like a career out of it you know I make video essays now for like actual money for like actual purposes where I'm like meticulously looking at sometimes like 10 plus bad films for a single video 
and I'm talking about exploitation films where you know it's not even nicely shot like this movie is mm. you can't even hear all the dialogue you know and those films are at least they're 70 minutes but they are impossibly they are the longest 70 <laughs> minutes of your life some of them lasted for decades for me oh, and and yeah yet there's a special flavor of hell to actually sitting down and knowing you spend 90 minutes watching an Adam Sandler film yeah it, it is a str- it is a fresh struggle every time it's like that i don't know if you've read jinji ito but there's a manga story he does where there's a guy who keeps falling asleep but every time he falls asleep his dream goes on for longer so it starts off being like 30 seconds and then by the end it's like ten thousand years and that's what sitting down to watch one of these films like the first one i was like oh this this feels like 90 minutes and now every single one i sit down for like the seconds have seconds in between the seconds that just you must go be on. You should start you, watching you, these at double speed. <laughs> Is that what you do? No. Oh. Oh, I sometimes do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I, so many films I watch, like, you watch bad films like the 70s, really low-budget films, and they clearly just need to run the film for long enough to sell. Oh, uh, right. And so there's a lot of, like, I think Red Letter Media calls it shooting the rodeo, where they'll turn up to, like, a real-life event, say, like, a parade or something, and just film the characters standing at the parade and looking at it, and then they'll just there's eight minutes of the parade going by <laughs> in the film, set to like a looping soundtrack. That's not uncommon. Oh wow, um, that's pretty cool. At least in this, I mean, the closest thing yeah. with this is like waiting for the racially insensitive thing. Yeah, that you're going to see from uh, your main man Rob Schneider. You must get itching around the 50 minute mark, thinking I haven't, I haven't seen anyone seen in brown face yet. I'm, this is. Mm. I need that racial <laughs> insensitivity, say... man. I need it. That's coming. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure if anything has felt quite as long as Joe Dirt's 90 minutes. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh my god! You guys watch Joe Dirt, of course. Yeah. I'm so We're sorry. You watch Joe Dirt too, which I believe is two hours long. I can't. I can't oh, <laughs> Will, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me, and thanks for subjecting me to this. Oh, you're welcome, buddy. <laughs> it's just nice to I, share I it with someone. I we could, like, we should take a poll and find out, like, which of our guests is the most angry for the films we've made them watch. Oh, true. I, I genuinely think that you gave me a real easy one here, because there's nothing, it's, it's neither the best nor the worst. I'm not trying to defend him, or I, and I'm not trying to, like, attack him too hard. It's just lazy. So all I had to do was watch the 90 minutes. Mm. You just had to do the time. It was like a low, <laughs> a low security prison. It's like not the terrible, time, but, but you did not do the crime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. I, uh, I think it, the answer is probably Rebecca for watching Eight Crazy Nights. Big time. I think she was not happy with that motion picture. Um, Who is? <laughs> but well, thank you so much for coming on. What is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, please, if you're listening to a podcast, that means you likely like listening to podcasts. So head over to uh, your podcast app of choice and search for Indie Tricks, which is I-N-D-I-E-T-R-I-X. Yes, I spell it with an X. Uh, to listen to takes on all sorts of good films, usually. Uh, <laughs> we recently talked about uh, In the Mood for Love. Uh, we talked Ooh. about A Matter of Life and Death. Ooh. And I get on uh, a wide range of guests, including filmmakers and film critics to talk about some of their favourite films. And you can also find me on YouTube at IndieTricks, uh, well, youtube.com slash IndieTricks. 
for regular film reviews as well as very irregular film essays. They're very good, the film essays. Yeah, I've also started doing them for, you can see some of my stuff on Little White Lies and uh, Mm. slightly less frequently on the BFI. I've also had my first physical media release recently. I did a a video essay for Arrow on a a film called Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway, which was great. Whoa, that's so cool. Amazing. Um, Yeah, it was great fun. I can't wait in we- a... until we get included on the Criterion collection of bedtime stories. I, I'm i really pushing to try and get a Criterion video essay currently. So if anyone knows anyone <laughs> who works at Criterion, please get me in. But I I got I a mean, film uh... once um, played at the BFI and it was called Kissy Lips Man. And so they had to print out, you know, that BFI paper yes. where they like explain the films and they have that <laughs> font that they use. And so I have this, I cherish this piece of paper that's like, Kissy Lips Man, director <laughs> Will Webb, year this, which I think is just so much fun. Amazing. I am, I am the same. I have the um, the Can brochure for when Penguin played at Can. It's like all these films that are relatively well put together, and then just a picture of my puppet Penguin. <laughs> 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 it's Perfect. my favorite thing. Well, actually, one thing I want to say is Will did not mention any of his uh, Instagram or Twitter or whatever. If he wants anyone to mm. follow him on those sort of things. Oh. I never post on almost anything, but you can find me at Will Webfall, uh, like as if it's my name, but then as an adjective, Will Webfall, mm. F-U-L at the end. There you go. To see me hate on Mank a bit more on Twitter. <laughs> um, you can find me at JFG in Digital 3D. It rhymes with Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, but where? Oh, on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, TikTok, um... You know, I'm, I'm I'm on the uh, I'm on the socials. Cool, and uh, yeah, if you want, you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, TikTok, other places at p a p s b y at p a p s b y. That's at Papsby. It rhymes with Revolutionary Road. And if you would like to follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at True Hat Mad. So that's where you can find that. Or you can send us an email at truehatmad at gmail.com. Um, the scarier, the better, please. And um, as always, if you could please leave us a review. If you've liked what you've heard, obviously. If you haven't, then leave us alone. I never want to see you again. But Or if, if you haven't liked what you've heard, write us an ironic five-star review. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, good, 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 good psychology. I enjoy it. Yeah, write us a review wherever you can and leave us a rating. Five stars is nice. Six, if you're feeling generous, would be also extremely good. And uh, next week, what are we doing? We're doing... Oh, we're doing the big boy, aren't we? Next week's uh, your favourite film. Yes. Well, second favourite. Paul Blart Morkarp. Poblob. (laughs) We've got Poblob coming. The kind of classics of the canon for her truly happy. (laughs) Oh, I cannot wait. Um, and we, we have, um, we have uh, guest host Benjamin Phillips coming on next Heck week. Heck yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. And as always, good night. And, ah, oh, horseshit. Very good. Goodbye. Bye. It's the only podcast dedicated to the filmography of Adam Sanders' production company.